0: It's already, the research is already coming back that 33% of the people who have moved during the great resignation re- regretted already. So just take these decisions very comprehensively and very carefully.
1: Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get Vital Insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanning.com slash insight Hello, everyone, welcome back to the show. I've got a great one in store for you today with Monica Nova Missley, who is the Chief People Officer at Kraft Heinz North America, and yes, it's that Kraft Heinz. And her twenty-plus years of experience, she's worked with leadership teams, Kraft Heinz, of course, Diageo, and Tori Birch to achieve total business and culture transformations that are focusing on changes in performance culture, coaching culture, employee experience, and corporate integrity and compliance. Monica has lived and worked in six countries and has been head of HR in Canada, the US, Great China, and Asia Pacific. Can you imagine the stories she's going to share today? Now, Monica actually holds multiple degrees from various institutions, including Trinity College, the University of Leiden in the Netherlands, and the University of Connecticut School of Law. Monica, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Ben, for having me. I'm so excited to be here today.
1: no, Let's get this thing rolling because, my goodness, you have lived and worked in so many countries around the globe. I'm just looking at the number of languages you must have been exposed to in this. Uh, what has that been like?
0: Uh, it is pretty amazing in order to stretch your growth, your learning, and also your resiliency. It's nothing uh-huh. like having to learn in the metro or the subway in seven different countries in something like 12 <laughs> different cities so yes, if there's anything that builds resiliency i would highly recommend the subway in beijing
1: Ooh. yeah that's <laughs> one of the biggest cities in the world metro system how's your chinese
0: uh which i just said i don't speak well i only speak a little
1: <laughs> okay all right that sounded pretty good to me i think i you know i've been to. China a few times and I learned Peugeot. Is that beer?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I know Peugeot. that and Nihao. So So that, yep. that's, that's, hello that's and, pretty much...
0: Hello and beer. That's going to get you through a lot <laughs> of situations, Ben.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. A highly useful business vernacular for me. But yeah. I mean, I think it's so amazing. And I think it's interesting that that's the word that you chose, like, Hey, resiliency, because when you go into a new culture, much less six of them, you do find the common threads of success. And it's probably not giving up, not giving up on finding your way through the transit system. Even though you may not speak the language perfectly or like me at all, you find a way to to navigate those communication hurdles. Um, What do you, so so people that may have an adventurous spirit, they want to go work overseas, they want to travel. What's a key bit of advice for them that you would say, hey, if you if you have this interest, this is what you need to do to be able to get on that fast track, to be able to travel the world and, and do business?
0: Um, I would say that I, I'm going to lean into two pieces of advice that my grandmother gave me. So um, one would be my grandmother used to say, when everybody else says why, you want to try to say why not. And that Mm. really helped me take those opportunities. Mm. So um, when my law firm came to me and asked me if I wanted to start our employment law practice in Beijing, I took it. Even though I'd never been to Beijing, I woke up there the next morning thinking to myself, oh my God, what did I just do? Um, (laughs) My husband and I were headed to the delivery room when we got the call from Diageo to ask us if we wanted to go to Shanghai. Mm. And we called back two weeks later and said, we'll do it. So we moved to Shanghai with a four-month-old baby. And again, I just leaned in every time. Wow. I should have said no. <laughs> <laughs> I heard my grandmother in my head saying, why not? Why not? Um, oh. Once you get there, Ben, my biggest piece of advice is another thing that my grandmother used to say, which is you have two ears. And one mouth, use them in that ratio.
1: And it
0: always reminds me, active listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, what? some great advice there. And it's great that it harkens back to your grandmother because it seems like some of the age-old advice that have, that's been around forever like that, but it's so easy to forget. We're talking about being strategic with our career and thinking about long-term. It's like, hey, think about the fundamentals Challenge that that voice in your head that says, You're what, you're crazy? You're you have a newborn baby. Why would you go relocate to China? Think about why not? It's almost like that call to adventure and then this idea of active listening. Because a lot of times people, you know, like yourself, who've been on the fast track in your career, it seems like you need to be getting in the room and managing and leading, which means theoretically speaking a lot and ordering people around and telling them what to do. Instead, you're saying, wait a minute. I'm listening first leading by listening versus leading by ordering people around. I mean, that's
0: absolutely. I mean, when you asked me what's something you learned from moving around and working in six countries, it probably taught me much faster than I think Hmm. some of my peers learned that leadership is not about command and control at all. Yeah. Leadership is about helping the people in the room who have the potential to reach greater success than they knew was possible Mm. and let them do it. Um, When you work in Beijing or Shanghai, you know that you don't know everything. Um, And it's the others in the room who do, and you have to help them find their best self.
1: For some reason, the word, Grandma MBA comes to mind. <laughs> like <laughs> everything I ever ne- needed to know, I learned in what is it like I, in kindergarten. and Now,
0: yep.
1: <laughs> it, the next learned level is I learned from my grandmother. Yeah, no, no, that's really important, and, and, I, and I love that distinction. And I hope for the listeners today, it's a great reminder. You may have heard that, and I think people, people say, "Well, I may I've read that in a book somewhere in the Wall Street Journal," but it makes a difference when you see, you know, here an executive who's been in so many different countries having success and saying, Hey, really, this is how you do it. You know, you listen first. Uh, so thinking back, so I think you gave us some great advice there for, for people that want to have international based careers or really careers, frankly, anywhere around the globe. Let's fast forward just a little bit here. What, what's the one trait that you wish you could instill in every employee and why do you think it's so important?
0: Empathy. Right now, the word is empathy, Ben. I mean, the world is going through a moment where it's just a lot for all of us as humans. Forget all of us as employees or managers or leaders. Um, And, you know, our people are facing things with their family, health and safety, mental health, burnout, inflation, the great resignation. So I think really in order to help people in this moment, all of us have to be very empathetic with one another and start with one another as people, not as business people, but as people to understand what we're all going through and help each other each get into a place that's comfortable, as comfortable as you're going to be right now.
1: Yeah, it's a great reminder when there's pressure, I mean Kraft Heinz is a public company, right? I mean, it's it's there's a lot of pressure from Wall Street to deliver, you know, monthly, quarterly, annually. And it's easy, you know, I, I worked for Honeywell years ago and it's easy to get lost and we've got to make our numbers. You know, we've got to make our numbers, but the people are the ones delivering the numbers. And so what what do you say to leaders who say, look, okay, yes, mental health is important. We need to take care of that. But what about the numbers? Like, what, what do you say to leaders when you're trying to represent it in a very balanced way? Because you don't want, and I'm not saying that you're CFOs like this, but, you know, I've worked with a lot of CFOs. And so sometimes they're like, hey, you're, you're, up, you're rolling up in here talking about burnout and mental health. And we're talking about, we got to hit our earnings number. Well, where as a leader do you go in your advice to people who are really trying to strike that balance between people and profitability to to make it all happen?
0: Right now, it's such a poignant question, Ben. I mean, just think about those of us who are in manufacturing right now. Anyone who works in a plant has been working at least 12 sixes, right? They've been working six Hmm. days a week, 12 12 hours at least a day. Um, And Hmm. they're dealing with supply shortages and labor shortages. Yep. Um so I think the pressure is really on and it's on everyone and I think you said it actually in your question which is it's the people who have to deliver and so if you start and help a person walk through what they need to show up and do their best then we are going to meet those numbers if we ignore that at the beginning we're going to miss those numbers and so that's why I I said empathy right at the beginning mm-hmm. if you know value and understand someone as a person first, they're going to show up and deliver every single time. Mm. Um, but if you don't start there, you will find yourself in the great resignation pretty quickly. Ooh.
1: So when <laughs> when's a time, maybe thinking about your career, maybe long-term ago or maybe more current, that empathy, like as a leader, or, or even if you saw it work out, like when did it really, uh, when'd you see it pay off?
0: Mm. Well, actually, I can tell you about a time when it almost didn't pay off. It's the Uh closest time I've gotten to failure. um, And I don't ever want to get that close again. It was I had taken the head of China, head of HR for greater China at Diageo. And it was a moment where we had the lowest engagement in the company. And Mm -hmm. the company's profits were not turning out. They hadn't for a while. We had not delivered as much as Diageo had hoped or wanted for, let's say at least some double digit numbers. And the business was under tremendous pressure. And there was a new president. I was the new head of HR. And no matter what we tried for the first 12 months, it wasn't working. We just weren't seeing the green shoots, if you will. And Mm. I was at one of my lowest points. And I remember coaching another leader who was trying to raise their engagement. And I was saying to them, Well, engagement starts with leadership. And in that moment, I started to have an out-of-body experience hearing myself. And I started thinking, am I having fun? Hmm. Am I engaged? Can I actually explain a reason to believe right now for myself, forget my team? And I realized I wasn't engaged. I wasn't having fun. There's actually a book, Ben, that I love called Doing Agile Right. Sarah Elk is one of the authors. And in it, they say, if you're not having fun, you're not doing agile right. And I think that quote actually could apply to leadership and business much more broadly. If you're not having fun, something's not right. Like you're not doing something right. And I started that minute just focusing on myself. How could I have fun? How could I be engaged? What was my reason to believe in that moment? And, an engagement in HR started to turn around and my coaching started to get better. And it was a painful two and a half years, but I'm happy to report that Diageo China is profitable and one of the most engaged in the company. Um, and so it was Way a to really go. good lesson for me.
1: <laughs> so fun can pay off. Yep. And so somebody so and many and
0: so for yourself,
1: for yourself too. For yourself. So, so many cool things in there that I don't want to overlook. Number one, um, fun. I mean, that is a, it's a three-letter word, but for some companies, it's a four-letter word. Like if you're having fun, (laughs) like, is is that okay? Uh, Oftentimes I find people are having fun or they say they're having fun in their job. They're either doing something that they're really good at or they're, or they're pursuing something that they're really interested in and maybe sharing that. I was just wondering from your standpoint, when are you like, what are you, have you broken it down for yourself in terms of, Hey, when I'm doing this kind of activity, this translates to fun because it ain't like Disney world, right? Like we're having <laughs> that kind of fun.
0: <laughs> no, and you're, exactly, you? you're exactly right. It's why I feel so lucky to work at Kraft Heinz every day. Um, I I have done some think, hard thinking about what my purpose is. And I think mm. for those leaders who have done that, they know when they're having fun, to your point. And I I, ha- I often say that my leadership tagline should be take the dare and care, which means I am at my best and having fun when I can be involved in a gigantic business transformation that is almost impossible and allows me to give my team members and others huge stretching opportunities to do projects that they never thought they could do before. Because then I, in my mind, I am leaving a legacy and an impact not only on business, but also on people's lives. Mm. And for me, that's when the mojo or the special sauce happens. And right now at Craft Times, as some of you may know, we are lean, our mission for the next five years is to create the food of the future that is sustainable and reasonably priced so that everyone can access it. And that is no small mission. <laughs> and I am having fun every day then. <laughs> My team, uh, I have a new team mostly, and they have taken on each of them a challenge that they have never experienced in their careers before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's uncomfortable, but it's always fun.
1: Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Yeah, I like that. And it is. And I think some great advice for people to take away. One is, you know, what does fun look like for you at work? And if people didn't see their parents having fun at work or they haven't had a boss that's really had a lot of fun at work, it means they're going to have to really do some digging to figure out what that is. I mean, what yours was a dare, dare and care or dare to take care? The dare,
0: take the dare and care.
1: Take the dare and care. I'm just writing that down. That's, that's, I think that's good advice. And for a lot of people, that could be fun or it could be scary, (laughs) one or the other. And sometimes when you're, sometimes the roller coaster is fun and scary a little bit all at the same time. No, (laughs) maybe that's what it's going to be like. Well, yeah, yeah, some great insights there. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the word purpose. I just love that. uh, What's your journey been like to to discover your own purpose in business? Um,
0: You know, I make a point, Ben, of reflecting on my purpose and my possibility. I also do my possibility at least three to four years, every three to four years. And I find that my journey always changes because there's just different moments in your life, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the things that have been the most important for me, one, was always to reflect on what makes me feel like I'm having fun and really being my best self at work. And also not to forget, especially in both my purpose and possibility, to be present in my total life. So to make sure that I am also being the best self I can be for the people and things that I love and not forget myself in that, I think that's the hardest piece for leaders because most leaders want to give to other people, right? They're very giving of themselves, especially in this moment. I see a lot of leaders really struggling with energy burnout. And mm-hmm. again, and back to my grandmother, Ben, my grandmother yep. should have come and interviewed. Um, <laughs> She, she used to say, you can't give what you don't have. Mm. And I think it's been a very powerful lesson throughout my, my journey to make sure that I have also been taking care of myself in that purpose, not just the business and my team.
1: You can't give what you don't have fun, energy. Leadership. And I feel like you, I mean, what, what, one of the things that's coming through too is the importance of really role modeling the behavior that you want to see in others. And that's kind of g- goes back to your previous story too, where you're like, I realized I wasn't having fun and I needed to do that work because I want other people to be engaged and have fun at work. I want them to enjoy their work. But wait a minute, if you're not role modeling that in an authentic way, it is really tough to impart that to others. And so, grandma's saying, you can't give what you don't have. I think we're going to, that might be worth a good tattoo for me today. I'm just, I don't have any tattoos, but if I did, maybe, maybe so. So let's, let's fast forward this because we're we're running out of time and I've got like 10 more questions. There's no way we're going to get to them all. Uh, But I cannot let uh, this interview pass without talking about the catastrophic cost of turnover, because a lot of times, you know, we don't always get to have a, an executive CHRO from a major or Chief people, also from a major company that's probably experiencing the great resignation, like so many others. And you face it, you have more people. So you're kind of trying to cover a lot more. So I, I want to get your perspective on that because we we spend a lot of time in my company helping organizations calculate that cost. A lot of times they call us in and say, Ben, we we have our you know our, our turnover is not where, where we want it to be. And they want to focus on the percentage, and we come in and we start talking about the cost, uh, which we we calculate on our research can be as much as two hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars per employee per year when you include all the factors. We'd love to get your perspective on the cost and the great resignation, and what do you have? What advice do you have for leaders who are, are facing this?
0: Uh, what a poignant question right now, Ben. You know, what's crazy about the Great Resignation is I actually think the cost of the actual turnover right now may actually be the easiest part. Um, Mm -hmm. Because right now, as you know, there is just more demand than supply in the labor market. It is one of the I read that is the worst labor shortage since 1969
1: Mm. in the United
0: States. And so you just there are too many roles to fill. So roles will not get filled right now. And for those who didn't invest and spend the money in retention, in engagement, in trust, in employer value proposition, the cost of turnover is going to become astronomical. Um, And
1: So, So for those who are already behind the curve, like you should have gotten on board two or three years ago when it seemed like employees were just available. (laughs) <laughs> now those are not, this and word now, like salt in the wind at this point.
0: As you know, when people resign, that means that the ones who stay will work two, three jobs to cover. It means they're <laughs> going to burn out. Then yep. the, the term that you know, because you just said it, it's the cost of organizational churn, actually, not mm. actually the cost of hiring when someone leaves. And the more churn. that you have yeah. turnover, the more that others are going to burn out, your turnover rate's just going to shoot up. So I ha- I'll give you a perfect example, Ben. Our leadership team started to work on trust with our employees two years ago. And I'm super proud because uh, Kraft Heinz made the Newsweek top most trusting companies in food and oh, beverage.
1: Congratulations. And for me,
0: thank you. For, for me, that was one of the best moments of the year because it means that we have the, a reason to win during the great resignation. You asked about advice. I have been coaching a lot of my team members and former team members because I think because of the severe tightness, Mm -hmm. companies are making or willing to make big bets on promotions, really stretch people into that next level. And at the same time, I have seen 30, 40, 50% increases on base salary during those promotions. And I've said to people right now, that's going to be fun, but God forbid this labor market changes and we have a recession or something else makes the demand go away. Those companies are not going to be as tolerant of that increase or as Mm. nurturing of that stretch. So my best advice Lean into the great resignation. If there's a role out there for you, think about it, but also make sure that you feel comfortable with the stretch, not only in good, but also in bad times. Because I think some people are going to possibly, well, it's already, the research is already coming back that 33% of the people who have moved during the great resignation regret it already. So just take these decisions very comprehensively, and very carefully.
1: Wow, Monica, nice mic drop. So (laughs) a lot of, you I'm not reading a lot of that right now. You know, and I think for the listeners, you know, I think that's some really good insight. Number one, if you're a person moving, changing jobs, if you're taking a huge increase and the economy does take a nosedive, you may be one of the first people to get asked to take a pay reduction or to get exit out of the company if you're not delivering on that. So if you go and you're not like, how am I going to deliver on that? You know, like that kind of number Uh, it's, it's, you know, it could be a big challenge. And I think you're just in so many good insights there for organizations to really think about that. Um, And also you're talking about, um, what you talked about getting, you were like, it seems like Kraft Heinz had a strategy in place before the rate resignation. And you were kind of ahead of of it. And I think a lot of organizations, they get so stuck in the immediate that they're not taking the time to think that far ahead to prepare. And you can develop your contingency plans. You can prep your organizational structure. Think about, you know, the, the pay grades of the future So no matter what happens, you know, you've got a game plan. And I think what you're seeing there and what you're alluding to is these organizations that weren't, they're kind of stuck throwing money at the problem because they're so far behind.
0: If I could give any piece of advice right now to HR out there, it's Mm -hmm. that we have to get out of the short game. Look, the great resignation is real and you have to focus on the short and the long term right now. Nobody is immune to it even those who have the greatest engagement and the greatest EVP, uh, employer value proposition. But I'll give you one other piece of information that we're finding right now, university relations. So one of the best pipelines for companies. They, because of the pandemic, people don't go to the on-campus events because there is an on-campus event. It's online. It's virtual Ooh. right now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And nobody shows up for that. So where we used to wine and dine people, all of that is that is gone, that, that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so the offers that they're taking are just based on companies' employer brands. So if you didn't play that long game, you're going to lose out on university relations and, and Gen Z. Wow. So really, for, for HR and leaders right now, You've got to play the long game.
1: Well, what do you think it is about this 33% of people that have changed jobs from their great resignation and they're regretting it? Like what like they get over there and they realize they just kind of went for the dollars and not for the overall experience or
0: so what right now, what we find is that when most people allow themselves to listen to recruiters within a month, they have three to five active opportunities going. And right now, every employer is really stretched for people. So they're making a lot of promises about remote work, engagement, nurturing and growth, base salary. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is because all companies are having their own struggles post pandemic with a war and labor shortages yes. and supply shortages. And so I think people leave what they might've considered a great job, get somewhere else where they thought the grass would be greener and find out it's not. Um, And as you know, money doesn't bring happiness.
1: (laughs) Can't buy me love. said The Beatles. Yeah. It, uh, it it's a warning for people really. I mean, and it's not just now, but it seems particularly bad now with how the window dressing is really getting amped up. But to do your homework. And sometimes, uh, University of Alabama and coach Nick Sabin uses this sometimes. And I think maybe some people have said it, but the grass is always greener on top of the septic tank, you know, meaning that yes, the grass is greener over there, but you get over there, you start digging.
0: feel that from you, Ben.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, yeah. And actually, that is a theme of my book, The Quit Alternative, not to plug that, but. The blueprint for creating a job you love without quitting because that, I mean, that, that's what I found. I job hop, uh, seven times before I recognized that I, I, I needed to do my own work to make my job better. And that made all the difference. So let's, 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 man, I got so many other questions here, but one of the ones I want to make sure to hit on, because I know you've got a lot of experience in this realm. When an employee has a big idea, what's your advice on how they should communicate it to the C-suite.
0: Um, I am going to go back to my grandmother and my mother. There used to be two phrases. One my mother used whenever we were presenting at school or doing a big project for school. She'd say, kiss, kiss. And it meant keep it simple. Oh. And <laughs> my best uh-huh. advice is make prepare your presentation and then cut it in half and mm. then read it again and cut it in half again. Because your goal is not to present the whole time, but actually to give the facts and points as concisely as you can, and then allow for a lot of dialogue and questions. And as for that dialogue and questions, we're gonna go back to my grandmother. You've got two ears and one mouth. Make sure you're listening to understand, not to respond. I think a lot of us, when we're in a big, Tough, a big tough. presentation, we want to make sure we look good and leave a good impression. And we try to listen so that we can give the right answer. You need to try to forget that because the more you understand what people are, the area people are coming from, the more people will know you understand your, your expertise.
1: Man, some goodies there. So that kiss-kiss principle is so difficult for people rising, like uh, they're, they're on their way to get to the sweet, sweet. They want to be there, they want to present and they've got all this great information. And sometimes it is yeah. the curse of knowledge. Like I have all this mm-hmm. knowledge, I'm going to bedazzle Monica, the chief people officer with all my knowledge. And instead it's, it's just like, it, it's just, it just isn't a way to get there. A, a great communicator doesn't mean a lot of information. <laughs> Exactly.
0: Exactly. Like because of- it's your expertise. You know so much and you want to share it and show that you know it, but they already trust that. That's why they gave you the role.
1: Yeah. Oh, ooh, nice. Nice. And I like going back to the whole listening bit because we cannot hear that enough. And uh, one of the things I like to share with my uh, some of my clients, I remind myself all the time is It doesn't matter what I say. It only matters what they hear. And I'm only going to be able to communicate something in a way they can hear it. If I've listened to to them first to understand their point of view, because like you could really communicate things in so many different ways, uh, but it's only the way that they can hear it best that matters. Absolutely. Man. I could keep rolling with this, but I feel like we're at the point now, Monica. Or I need to say, what did we not cover today? That 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 you want to mention, or you know, something that that you think would be really pertinent uh, to the listeners to really put the cherry on the top of this wonderful interview today.
0: Well, you know, Ben, um, there was an interesting question that you asked me before we started to roll, right? You asked, um, "What is one piece of technology or gadget yep. that your users would find interesting?" And it's funny because I don't know if this is what you meant when you asked that question, but the place that my head immediately went to was TikTok.
1: Uh oh, so, TikTok I love it.
0: and gaming. So I'll tell you why, um, and I'll, I'll sort of put it into my own area of expertise. As a chief people officer, I have to make sure that I understand how the next incoming class of, of employees learns, is engaged, how they're being influenced. So, and I think that's a, a true for all leaders because it's also true for marketing, right? For sales. So when you said gadget that you could purchase, I have to share every night because gaming right now is one of the biggest marketing and people influencing spaces. My son is a huge Minecrafter. He could spend hours if I would let him. And I make yes. a point of sitting with him 15 minutes a night and watching him play and watching him game just so that I can see what's really influencing our culture right now and mm-hmm. our next generations as they're learning. So anything you can get your hands on, TikTok, gaming, Minecraft, Roblox, get
1: in there and learn it. So let's riff on that. Okay. That is cool. So first of all, gaming, everybody go, this ties in a uh, interview that just released Stu Chisholm, who's the CEO of high-res studios. Who's, and they come out with a whole, they, in the gaming community, they're, they're really big. The whole, we spend part of the interview talking about why gamers make such great leaders because they are used to organizing uh, and minecraft is kind of like the tip of the spear for younger kids especially to do that they can organize and build things and they're used to interacting with people online that they've never met and you know I'm born in the mid 70s and you know we didn't grow up with all that so we're we're doing a good job you know um, I'm doing a good job of learning it on the fly but Gamers are growing up with problem-solving remotely with people they've never met. And it's just like part of their DNA. So your son may be the future president.
0: Well, and you know- Oh, Kraft Heinz. He he is amazing. (laughs) Um, He's seven and he's already saying things like teamwork makes dream work.
1: And Uh, what uh, I've
0: also noticed in the gaming that to, to the point that you were mentioning about great leaders, because there are people building things together, oftentimes in a gaming situation, my son will say things like, oh, I'm not good at that particular part. I don't know what player that is, but that's their strength. I want to bring them over onto my team. It's and seven. so at seven, he's already starting to figure out how you put together a diverse team.
1: Yeah. It, oh, my it's, gosh.
0: It's, I mean, there is a lot to say about gaming. And,
1: we yeah, and So that that's one level that story just told. I, I want to make that, and it's, y'all, have to, if a chief people officer of a major company saying that, everyone, this is big, like, thought-breaking thing for people, right? We need to be, sometimes gamers are considered, oh, wait, you know, that's just silly gameplay. And we're talking, no, they're, they're like, this, this This can be team building, and this is uh, this is really going to change how we hire and work together over the next 20 years. So start playing games. Uh, next thing is I love the parenting advice because it's easy to sort of say, you know, I got stuff to do. Or what I sometimes what I try to do is I try to spend my time trying to convince my daughter to do what I want to do. Specifically, I'm like, let's go out and play some tennis right now. She's like, I don't want to play tennis. And I want to do this. All, I want to, you know, y'all, she wanted me, she wanted to make a dance video with me uh, and wanted to post it online. And first of all, I did not want to learn this. It was a YouTube dance. I did not want to learn it. I said, I will learn the video. I will learn the dance with you, but we're not posting it because my channel is a business channel. Uh, but I did do the dance with her, but yeah. So it's something about, you know, you're sitting down with your son, you're doing what he wants to do. Even if you're like, I'd rather be doing something else than watching you play Roblox. But When you, as as a parent, you spend just a few minutes doing that, it goes a long way with them and it helps you tune into their world. And who knows, you're going to learn about the next generation as well.
0: Oh, I have definitely had to challenge myself for that. Then with my son, he desperately wants to grow up to be a YouTuber. And at first... Everything in my core wanted to reject that. But, you know, Mr. Beast is making multiple millions a year. Like, yes, what yes. Am I, who am I to, to tell my son not to be a millionaire? And my husband challenged me to let my son um, build a YouTube channel. And yep, actually, yep. what I found is it, it is a great way for us to share together because he'll sit down and say, what do you think people want to see? And then mm. I can say, I wonder if they might want us to do a nature walk. Sometimes he buys it, Ben, and sometimes he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> but I am getting him outside more by trying to build this YouTube channel. So I'm leaning in. We'll see how it turns out.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, you know some great advice for that. And I love that you're getting in there and using it as a chance to not just impart your wisdom to your children, but also to learn from them. And yes, Mr. Beast is absolutely killing it. Sometimes I'll watch those things and I'll scratch my head like, how is this possible? But we have to challenge our assumptions as leaders if we want to continue to grow and be a part of this world.
0: Listen, I'm more of a Preston fan than I am of a, a Mr. Beast fan, but both, both gentlemen really leaned into their strengths and they are doing very, good. very well right now.
1: <laughs> Monica, thank you for coming on the show today. This was a lot of fun.
0: Thank you, Ben, for having me.
1: If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to BenFanning.com quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one bestselling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to BenFanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.